Tuesday, January 21st. I'm Martine Powers. This is an impeachment inquiry update from Post Reports. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. All persons are commanded to keep silent on pain of imprisonment. So the Senate impeachment trial will probably get more interesting at a later date. I note the presence in the House of the Senate, in the, cha- in the Senate chamber, of the managers on the part of the House of Representatives and counsel for the President of the United States. Mr. Chief Justice. The majority leader is recognized. What today is about is essentially one setting the kind of ground rules for each side's argument heading into this debate. For the further information of all senators, I'm about to send a resolution to the desk providing for an outline of the next steps in these proceedings. Senate Resolution 483 to provide for related procedures concerning the articles of impeachment against Donald John Trump, President of the United States. Mr. Manager Schiff, are you a proponent or opponent of this motion? Managers are in opposition to this resolution. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Cipollone, are you a proponent or opponent of the motion? Mr. Chief Justice, we are a proponent of the motion. Then, Mr. Cipollone, your side may proceed first, and we'll be able to reserve rebuttal time if you wish. And two is haggling about the rules. A trial without all the relevant evidence is not a fair trial. They said in their brief, we have overwhelming evidence and they're afraid to make their case. So what does a fair trial look like in the context of impeachment? The short answer is it looks like every other trial. Basically saying how this process should be handled. At the same time, the actual changes that have been made to the rules so far are things that have been handled off of the Senate floor. These are not things that were necessarily being voted on as amendments or anything like that. They're basically Republican leadership having responded to concerns from swing vote senators who were a little bit concerned about certain ways in which the rules were different than they were 21 years ago when Bill Clinton was being impeached. My name is Aaron Blake, senior political reporter for The Fix. So what are some of these points of contention when it comes to the ground rules of how this trial is going to be handled? Well, the big one is obviously how we are going to address potential new evidence and new witnesses. We, of course, have seen John Bolton, the president's former national security advisor, say he is willing to testify if, in fact, he is called to do so. Republicans have shown no great desire to have him actually do that. But all of these things are things that can be addressed by the rules, which are being voted on Tuesday, and then by later votes that the senators can take as the process moves along. As things are set up right now, the votes on new witnesses and on new evidence would take place after extensive opening arguments for both sides and after the senators have time to ask questions of each side's impeachment managers. And you also said that one of these rules was already changed because of concerns from Republicans about how this trial in some ways might be different from what happened during the Clinton impeachment trial. Right. So there were basically four kind of smaller ways in which the rules put forward by Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, differed from what we saw in the Clinton impeachment. These rule changes 
change two of those to be more similar to Clinton. One is that while the initial McConnell rules stated that the evidence that the House collected would be subject to a vote, the senators would have to vote on whether to include that at a later juncture, that will now be concluded automatically subject to some objections by the president and his legal team. Uh, So that basically takes something that they needed to vote to get it in and makes it a situation where the president's team needs to object to it and have to argue that it should be excluded. This was something that was objected to apparently by Senator Susan Collins, who is a very important swing vote here. Also some reporting that uh, Senator Rob Portman uh, from Ohio was involved in this. The other significant change is that the opening arguments, which initially were set to take place over uh, 24 hours in two days for each side, so 12 hours each day. Those are long days. A very long night for all of us. Uh, They will now be handled in the same way they were handled in the Clinton impeachment, which is 24 hours over three days. So there will be eight-hour blocks instead of 12-hour blocks. So the fact that Collins and a couple of these other middle-of-the-road Republican senators have been kind of asserting themselves in this situation, does that tell us anything about how they might be navigating the impeachment trial going forward? It's an interesting development uh, for one, for a couple of reasons. One is that these rules were put out 18 hours ago. You would think they were the kinds of things that McConnell would check in with the likes of Susan Collins on, but apparently either that didn't happen or she kind of didn't object at first and decided later on that she objected. Um, The second reason is, you know, Senators like Collins have really been playing very careful, very circumspect, keeping their powder dry, not wanting to commit one way or the other, uh, really to the frustration to a lot of Democrats who would prefer that she would say, I want John Bolton to testify. I want all this new evidence. Um, The idea that she would assert herself on this has to be a little bit encouraging for them. On the other hand, this is a relatively small thing in which she's basically – pushing for a small rule change that brings things more in line with how the uh, Clinton impeachment trial was handled and may not change things really substantively moving forward. Watching what the likes of Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, Lamar Alexander, uh, Rob Portman, watching what they do is what's really significant here because they are the ones who are going to be able to impact having new evidence, having new witnesses. It's really all about them, and the rest is kind of window dressing. What's also interesting about what has been happening on the Senate floor today is that this is the first time that we're actually hearing the president's lawyers talking. And it's particularly interesting because a couple of those lawyers are people that were just hired to this team, one of them being Kenneth Starr, who people know from the Clinton impeachment trial. He was the prosecutor then. Now he's on the side of the defense. And also Alan Dershowitz, who made his name defending O.J. Simpson. So what do we— What can we tell so far from what President Trump's lawyers are like and how they're going to argue in defense of the president? I think we saw that most well defined on Tuesday when after Pat Cipollone, who's the uh, White House counsel, gave a brief opening and then handed things over to the Democrats. Uh, Adam Schiff spoke for a while. It came back. Then we saw Jay Sekulow introduced. Do you want to know about due process? I'll tell you about due process. Never before in the history of our country has a president been confronted with this kind of impeachment 
proceeding in the House. Jay Sekulow is the president's outside personal attorney, talk radio host. He has been with President Trump for a very long time. Not terribly surprising to see him be very animated and very forceful with the things that he alleges and with his arguments. They were told that they were obstructing. What does Mr. Schiff mean by obstructing? He means that unless you do exactly what he says, regardless of your constitutional rights, then you're obstructing. After that, though, Cipollone came back and uh, presented his case and really kind of pulled from the same uh, playbook. Um, We saw him uh, in in his initial stint there use the word ridiculous six times. By the way, I was surprised to hear that, did you realize you're on trial? Mr. Nadler's putting you on trial. Everybody's on trial except for them. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The White House counsel is technically a lawyer for the White House and not the president personally. But what we saw was a very political, very something more in line with what you'd expect from uh, uh, Jay Sekulow's of this world, from a Ken Starr, from Alan Dershowitz, people who maybe are are able to speak more freely or appear on cable news. Um, but I think it shows that this is going to be a united effort and it's going to be very focused on process. The idea that the president has been wronged here and that the Democrats have been out to impeach the president from day one. Aaron Blake is a political reporter for The Fix. Last week, we asked you for your questions about the impeachment, and we got this one from a listener in Vancouver named Michael Picard. I have a question about Lev Parnas, and it's perhaps an obvious one. Uh, Where did his money come from, the money he was throwing around since before the 2016 election in order to cultivate relationships with high-level Republicans and pursue prospective business opportunities where did that money come from? Hey, is this still a good time? Yes. So it's a really good question. We went to Roz Helderman for help in answering this. She covers political investigations for The Post. You have this world of campaign contributors who try to get access to top officials, even the president himself, by making these big campaign contributions. And sometimes you look at their financial past and it doesn't seem as though they actually have access to that kind of liquid cash sitting around to actually be paying $300,000, $500,000, million to a super PAC to get that kind of access. And you have to wonder, where is that money really coming from? Lev Parnas is a businessman from Florida, and he is, as we have often referred to him in stories, a Giuliani associate. In 2018, he hired Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal attorney, uh, to be sort of a paid pitch man for his company, which was called Fraud Guarantee. And then they became close friends, and he ends up helping Giuliani find people in Ukraine who have information about Joe Biden. So he becomes something of a of a fixer uh, to Giuliani in Ukraine. 
Parnas made a series of large campaign contributions. And we know where some of the money came from, at least as alleged by federal prosecutors who have charged him with campaign finance violations. But I would say not all of it. So prosecutors say that when he and his partner Igor Fruman made the largest of their donations, which was $325,000 to a pro-Trump super PAC that happens in the spring of 2018, that they made that donation in the name of a company, but the company actually had no income and no assets, and it was actually money that came from a private loan to Igor Fruman. They also say that some of the money he paid to other campaign contributions in 2018 and 2019 uh, was actually money from a Russian investor who wanted to break into the cannabis business in the United States. So that forms the basis of the criminal charges against him. It's illegal for foreigners to donate in the United States to political campaigns. Also, it's illegal to misrepresent where money is coming from. So he's pleaded not guilty to that. But I think that the caller gets at a really good mystery, which is the first of Parnas's campaign contributions was $50,000. It's not a tiny amount to a campaign committee for President Trump that comes in October of 2016. And at the time, he had a lot of debts. He had a lot of creditors. We actually don't know where that money came from. It's an area of very active, ongoing reporting for us. If you have a question about the impeachment, we'd love to hear it. Record a short voice memo on your phone, include your name and where you're from, and email it to postreports at washpost.com. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. For more impeachment updates from The Washington Post, check out our impeachment podcast feed. It's updated daily with stories from Post Reports, along with our other news podcasts here at The Post, The Daily 202, and Can He Do That? Subscribe on your podcast app or at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.
That's it for this segment of Post Reports. Full episodes of our show come out every weekday afternoon. You can subscribe at postreports.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. Thanks for listening.